Welcome to the Association Corner, a podcast series focusing on insights and trends for association professionals by association professionals. Hello and welcome to Multiviews podcast series, the Association Corner. I'm your host, Alfred McKelvey, coming to you from our Irving, Texas headquarters. And today we're discussing something that's affecting all of our industries, the great resignation. And joining me today is Dr. Amy Dufresne, CEO of HRCI, the world's premier credentialing and learning organization for the human resources profession. Um, as a nationally recognized corporate executive and thought leader on the human side of successful business strategy, uh, we thought Dr. Dufresne would be a key to our discussion today. And Dr. Dufresne, welcome and thanks for joining us. Alfred, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you and we'll go ahead and get started into to some of these questions. I know there's quite a lot of topics on this subject today and uh, you know, even Elon Musk coming out this week with his Twitter fingers, it's quite made the, the conversation interesting around um, the great resignation, working from home and, and all those different types of discussions. I guess, you know, in 2021, the term great resignation came into play and many thought it wouldn't last long. But as we, we get further into 2022, it's apparent that this is going to continue. And we know there's no shortage of positions available. As of December, there were 11 million jobs open and 47.4 million jobs were left voluntarily last year, which surprised me. And employees between 30 and 45 years of age have been the highest increase in resignation since the pandemic. So I'll direct this to, to you, Amy. As, as businesses begin to reopen, guidelines start to relax and life returns to, I guess, what we call normal. But what does this really mean? I read in an, a recent article in CNN that this great return could ha give the, the great resignation more momentum and therefore increasing the scenario of additional staff churn. So I'd just kind of like to get your thoughts on this, this great resignation and really what 2022, what we should be looking at as, as the year progresses here. Yeah, so this is such an interesting topic for us to be talking about right now because I feel like you know, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth when you're talking about the great resignation and, and sort of the great reshuffle, or as it's referred to it now, is the forever resignation. So we're seeing these terms evolve really quickly. But, you know, I think um, some of the statistics that have come out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS, um, we saw at the end in April that 4.4 million people resigned epic wow. proportions, but this is 25,000 fewer than there were in March. Um, job openings have declined um, from, from April um, of 2022. They fell to 11.9 million from the March, um, in March to 11.4 million in April. So, you know, 500K difference. And, you know, I think that in April, We've been seeing some of these big companies, and Alfred, you just referred to one, you know, Tesla saying everybody's got to come back to work now. But we're also seeing um, that layoffs, layoffs and discharges are at a new low, 0.8%, according to the BLS. But we're seeing higher levels of churn um, in Facebook with, you know, the the resignation of Sheryl Sandberg, like, is that an indicative, an indicator of something that's happening? Netflix yeah. that had um, a giant reshuffling on their team, significant layoffs um, that they had going on there. Um, so this, is this 
tech, uh, you know, an indicator of something bigger to come. And, you know, I've read a little bit about sort of this new term, forever resignation. And um, the the um, sort of thinking around this is that resignations are at this level are here to stay, which is, oh my gosh, um, I think it's really hard to imagine that. Yeah. And, you know, Gartner's done some research um, that, uh, you know, the uh, voluntary turnover is rising now at almost 20%, which is more than what it was looking at at pre-pandemic level. So I'm going to say that one more time because I think that this is, you know, kind of the great reshuffle, so to speak, of people are um, 20% more likely than they were before the pandemic started to um, change their jobs or leave forever, right? Um, and what I found super interesting was some research that Pew did that found that half of Americans quit in 2021 and took new roles, making wow. more money, right? So there's just this, this research that's out there that is indicating this can happen, this is happening. And last month in April, I spent a whole day with 100 CHROs from organizations like Chewy, like Cameo, like Abvi, um, and like uh, Prudential. And the, the CHROs that were in the room, and we had um, about 50 folks that were calling in from all over the place for COVID reasons. Um, they were um, really talking about and spent some time talking about what business trends are impacting business right now and will have the most impact on HR. And they overwhelmingly, they were all focused on talent um, from the great resignation to the scarcity of talent, to talent shortages, to talent availability the cost impact of increased salary for long-term, having the right people to deliver on the key capabilities, lack of engagement, women opting out of the workforce. And then this, this whole idea around, um, you know, what's going to happen now that we're, we're seeing organizations that are paying top dollar for talent and what's going to happen when you start putting your budgets together for, uh, 2023, and you realize, my goodness, we've, you know, we may need to do some reshuffling here. So really, really fascinating times. I think that um, this, you know, long story short is this isn't going away. This is going to be a new normal of, of people leaving at these, you know, 20%-ish levels churn within your organization, which is, which is extremely high when you think about how we have been really focused in the past on, um, you know, right-sizing our organizations and having just the right amount of talent to get things done. And then, you know, renting talent or leasing talent to do things. And now the talent isn't there, or we're seeing 20% of our workforce leave. And that burden is being placed on those folks that are left behind and who are going, I can't do this. I'm going to leave too. So it's, this is really, there's a lot to unpack here, but this is a really significant 
um, shift that we're seeing for HR and for business leaders to be completely focused on. Yeah, and there, there's a lot to unpack there, Amy. I mean, I think it's it's very interesting to hear, you know, that that across the board, right, with these large companies who sometimes seem insulated from some of these more, you know, trends at the macro level, right, um, that they're feeling it just as much as middle-sized businesses and small businesses. And I think they're, you know, feeling it across the board. And the fact is, you know, as we move forward in 2022, they're going to need to find a way to retain and bring in talent, a lot of these businesses, as we know, right, which is why they're they're talking about it so much. And we hear constantly, especially me working with the association space, the words attract and retain when it comes to right. membership or certificates or whatever that might be. But really, that same problem is now directly impacting HR across all industries in the, the talent development space. So I guess really what, what my next question after what you just said there, Amy, would be, you know, how, how do these HR professionals and organizations think forward on the rest of 2022 and how do they close that, let's say, 20% gap that you mentioned in talent they have now and talent they need to get while also making sure the talent they have isn't leaving as they replace them? Right. I, um, you know, <clears throat> I think the long and the short of it is talent is going to be more expensive by 20%, period. Um, we're seeing um, you know, I'm, I've got some other statistics from Bank of America. I was recently um, with some fo- folks from Bank of America, and they talked about they've been tracking consumer spending, um, and they've been tracking wages and salary. And you know, they do this by looking at if you're a Bank of America person, they look at your direct deposits and they see what's coming in. And you know, I think in the HR space, we were saying. Um, you need to budget at least 5% in 2022 for um, salary increases. I'm a part of several organizations from a board perspective, and that's what I've recommended to the CEOs is that we've, you got to budget at least 5%. But Bank of America is making me rethink my my original um, recommendation because they're saying that they have seen an increase of wages and salary um, year over year at 8.7% growth. So I think that HR is, you know, and business are going to have to find that money to retain that talent somewhere. Um, you know, I think we're we're seeing a lot of organizations have those high uh, churn rates when they are not um, providing flexibility to their team, when they're not giving the ability for people to a work remotely. And you know, I'm I'm in Washington D.C., so our organization is in D.C. And traffic here is horrific. It's horrific. And you know, during the pandemic, it was so easy to get out of, in and out of the office. But now people aren't riding public transportation. Um, they need that flexibility to go pick up their children or their parents wherever they are. And so the traffic, at least here, is is really challenging. And so. You know, I think you've got to think about how are you as an association leader going to differentiate yourself? So it's not only that, you know, providing more in the way of base salary, having that um, ability to to look at that and budget that, but it's looking at that remote work and that flexible work that people are looking for and needing that balance. And they've enjoyed that balance for those folks that were able to work remotely, but there's um, a large amount of the population that wasn't able to work remotely, but those that were realized I'm more productive 
um, I have more balance and I'm, I'm happier overall. And so, um, I think that that ability to be flexible, um, will really help associations in this space. Um, I was recently reading, uh, the Harvard business review, um, the May, June, 2022 edition. And on the cover, it has designing work that people love. And this was written by Marcus Buckingham. And those of you that have read or written um, or heard him speak, he's um, very research focused and very much in the human capital space. Um, right now, he's head of people and performance research um, at ADPRI. And he wrote this article on designing work that people love because people are quitting their jobs in all sectors of the economy. It's everywhere. Uh, and they're real HR struggling to fill it. They're helping people, you know, getting back to work. Organizations are changing their policies and offering um, unprecedented incentives. And one of the points that he made um, is that organizations need to start focusing on the people. The people are the point. And you know, when you, um, lots of organizations are out there producing many of the same things um, and you differentiate yourself through the people that are producing those items for you, whether it be an actual product or in a more consultative capacity. Um, and those are the things that really differentiate you. But the point, one of the points that he made is one size fits one in looking at jobs. And I loved this. I loved when he talked about this because um, there's, uh, you know, there are parts of everyone's jobs that are not the most exciting parts of their jobs. But there's, in some cases, there are parts of it that people really love. So it's up to us as managers and leaders to identify those pieces of the business that people or the part of their job that they really love to do um, and make sure that you don't take that away from them. Um, and realizing that can't be their entire job, right? Because if it were, the other part of their job wouldn't get done. And so there are parts of all, again, all of our jobs that we're not really that excited about. But really getting to know what is exciting to your team about the part of their job that they that they love um, and then and then giving them the space to do it and again not taking it away um, and I think in this in this remote space that we're in um, we've got to trust people and I've heard CEOs both in um, for-profit not-for-profit organizations that have said if I don't see my people they're not sitting in the office they're not working. And, you know, they can be in the office and not working. That doesn't, just because you see somebody doesn't mean they're, you know, they're totally, um, you know, they're doing all the things that you want them to do. But what you need to have is, is really good performance metrics um, and leadership that will make sure that, you know, people are staying on track, that your leaders are touching base with their employees. And, there's FaceTime, even though it might be virtual, it might not be face-to-face, -face. it could be virtual and that's okay, but you got to still spend time with your team um, and, and make sure, again, that you um, are focused on 
uh, I call it that zone of genius where somebody really loves a part of their job and um, making sure that you give them that to do and more. Yeah, I love <clears throat> I love that you know part that you brought up about you know hey having clear expectations for folks so that you know wherever they are they know what they need to do at the end of the day to get their job done right and that's that's been a huge adjustment I think for a lot of companies is really defining you know what it gets done during the day and do they even need to be in the office for that uh, to be accomplished and and I guess the other you know thing that I I was thinking of as you you were talking through you know employee happiness and that kind of thing I remember graduating college and interviewing with a bunch of different companies as we we mostly do and I I remember culture being brought up constantly and everyone used the same buzzwords and talked about company culture and what's it like to to work at these different places but I think I'd be curious to hear in in your own mindset kind of how that definition of company culture has changed and I I hear this a lot with other CEOs I'm talking about about how do we have company culture if we don't have an office that everyone gets together at. Um, I'd be curious on kind of your ideas or your thoughts on what company culture looks like moving forward. And do you need to have people all in an office to have it? Or is that something that that you don't need to have that physical presence for? Right. And so, so culture is, you know, means so many different things. It's like you could talk to a hundred people and ask for their definition of culture and you'd get a hundred different responses, right? Because it means something to, it means something different to everyone. And, you know, I think that culture is um, that you truly have you as the organization have developed your values, not a consultant, not the HR team sitting by themselves, but the entire organization has participated. And what are your values? What are you, what are, what's important to you? What are your expectations of people? Um, And what are you, you know, what are you going to be rewarding people for? And so I think that, you know, it starts with, with those value statements and that you're living that you're, um, if you talk about being a highly collaborative culture, then you need to be collaborative. You've got, and you need to tell people, and you have to keep reminding people, this is what, you know, I think um, sometimes we all forget that you, you know, I told somebody this once, well, you know, we have to remember that people need to be reminded of things at least seven times before it starts to stick, right? So it's, constantly talking about your values and what's important. Um, At HRCI for us, diversity is important. Um, And we live that in everything that we do. Um, We recently took over, um, well, a year ago, took over the standards writing for the technical committee of TC260, which is the ISO standards under, um, for human resource management. And we, our first standard under our leadership that was launched is uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, since we've developed a diver- diversity and inclusion certificate, which I'm encouraging all of our team to take, um, and we are now certifying organizations against diversity and inclusion because we know that this is a way. This could be part of your culture that if if it is to be diverse and inclusive, that you need to be um, really living out the values that you believe. Um, that you have within your organization. And so I think that that is, um, that's the key. And, and, you know, I think for, for HRCI, we had folks that were working 
um, frankly, all over the world before the pandemic hit, not as, you know, not the entire organization. And so we did a lot to try to keep people connected with each other. We did a lot of stuff virtually. Um, but now, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, now I would like to get people together at least once or twice a year all together to do all hands meetings. Um, I mean, we do that today. We had a a town hall and um, we do them on a very regular basis and they're short and they're sweet, but it's a connection point. Um, And we talk about things and we're, you know, we're, um, you know, a little bit more than 50 folks. And so we're, um, you know, we try to make sure we're hearing from everybody and um, we're talking about um, issues that are impacting not only the business, but that are impacting the professionals that we are here to serve. So, um, so I think that that's, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a culture is not a one and done thing. Value is not a one and done thing. These are not credenza wear items that you write it and you put it on the shelf, you know, your bookshelf, so to speak, you've got to keep, keep it alive, keep it, keep it fresh and keep it in front of your team. Yeah, I think, you know, that I love those points as well. And I think being upfront on what your culture is and having a, an actual definition internally is going to help with, with prospects coming in and trying to, to evaluate your company. Right. And I think that that comes through in the interview process and that, that transparency and that expectation that this is what we live by and this is our culture. And this is what we believe in as a, a company or, or an organization. Um, and I guess a question I had for you as well with being located in, in DC, I work with quite a lot of partners out there and, and really, you know, I, I had thought about this for a while from them moving work to a remote work environment and, and usually the associations who are headquartered in DC looked for talent in DC, right? Where now I'm seeing people get hired from all over the country to work for organizations that were traditionally headquartered and only in person in that specific city or, or you know, district in this area. But I guess for you, do you see that as an opportunity, even though you know it's we see this labor shortage right now? Do you see an opportunity for companies to have an access to a wider range of talent now that some of these in, in-person barriers have been broken down? And, and is this an opportunity for folks to find talent they may not have had available to them previously because of that in-person requirement? A hundred percent. I think it it opens up your talent pool in a really unique way um, to really think about, gosh, we could do we could do a national search and we don't have to pay moving expenses. Um, we may in fact save on you know some of the different taxability depending on the states that we're located in. But you've got to think of the other side, which is if you've got people working in states, then you're going to have more administrative um, burden on your finance team to to have to comply with all those state regulations and from an HR perspective to comply with each of the state's regulations. So I think you've, as an, you know, as an association, you've got to be um, just cognizant of that before you jump in and say, okay, we're going to, you know, kind of open up the doors and, and um, let people work from, um, from anywhere. But I think, you know, in DC, um, one of my uh, colleagues, longtime colleagues, has been with us for um, over 15 years, and um, he has been living in a condo with his family in D.C., and he said, 
this is an opportunity for me to get my kids grass that they can play on that's they can walk outside and have a trampoline or a swing set or have you know friends next door that um they can go play with on a bike and um and this this colleague of mine is moving he's moving and it's a great opportunity for he and his family and i think this this provides that that flexibility for us to really reimagine again that one size fits one, knowing what's important to each person and knowing what drives them and what's important to them and, and design somewhat a job at a location that works with them. And that is, a, I think, a really uh, great opportunity, especially you know, for folks that have been, to your point, um, stuck in a certain place for a while, they now have the freedom to move about and it gives the, the company an opportunity to build loyalty with that individual by letting them live a life they want to live while still trusting them to complete their job and being able to do it wherever. So I think that's that's a really cool story. I love to hear that. And, and grass is something very important to me personally in terms of having a, my own lawn. So I, I can, <laughs> I can uh, relate to that very well, even though I don't like cutting it so much. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that's great. And, and so I guess advice for folks that that are out there looking right now, and maybe they have a job, but they're seeing all of these, you know, similar positions they're qualified for that are maybe 20% above what they're making now. Um, you know, I've talked to a few folks that are nervous to leave a job right now for higher pay because they're not sure if that's long-term going to stay this way. Um, and maybe they're leaving a job they've been building tenure and loyalty at um, just to leave for a higher price position out there. I guess, what advice do you have for, for folks kind of looking at the market right now and trying to decide, I have a good thing now, but I see these other opportunities where they're paying an additional amount for the same things I do now. What, what do you kind of advise those folks on looking at or, or evaluating when making those decisions? So speaking of grass, the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, and, and truly, I think it's, you know, there's a lot to be said for what you know. Um, if you're, you know, really um, connected with the mission and the purpose of the organization, if you have a strong connection with your manager, um, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, that you know, and and having that flexibility and knowing um, the CEO of the organization, I think is um, is important because. You know, you could get uh, go to work for another CEO who could change um, their mind on you know what what remote works work looks like. If that's something that's important to you, and the current organization has said this, you know, this is not going away. We are keeping this because we know this is important. And frankly, you know, the horse has left the barn on remote work. Like we've done it for two work two two more plus two plus years or more. Yeah. And and we've done it successfully for the most part. There's been some bumps. There's been some learning curves. But, um, you know, I think that <clears throat> it's also looking at the benefits of an organization, not only just the financial benefits, but the intangibles. So what I was mentioning with remote work or, you know, is are there other things that you that really um, dry into the organization that are important from an intangible perspective. So I think it's, you know, money is not always everything. And I know that 
you know, as if we continue to see the churn as anticipated by lots of data that's out there right now, that this is not going away. Um, and if organizations have to continue to add more to their budgets for talent and for, you know, the total rewards package, something's going to have to give in some of these organizations that aren't seeing their budgets grow at the percentages that they're that they're going to need to keep their talent. I mean, that, that almost 9% increase, um, there are organizations out there that are steady. Their budgets are, you know, maybe a two or three percent increase. Um, so they couldn't sustain that that nine percent increase. So I think it's, you know, it's really, you know, it's of course always looking at the 990, looking at the stability of the organization and asking those questions are always important. Um, so I think those were just some of the points of advice that I would give to folks that are that maybe exploring and looking at something different. Yeah, thank you for that, Amy. I know a lot of people probably that, that will listen to this and and that are out there, you know, in the association space and in all industries are are at least taking a look in their, you know, resume mirror, if you will, and trying to decide, you know, where they need to be in the, the ecosystem and whether they're not at the right place or or whether they are, right? And and anything that can help them evaluate and explore that and make the best decision is gonna be gonna be very helpful for them. And I guess. As we we wrap up here, a Forbes article recently stated that organizations can use these challenges to create the great rebound is is what they call it. And I feel from our conversation today, Amy provided a lot of clarity on really the current state of things and where these different organizations and HR leaders see this going and persisting and what what they're going to have to do to adapt uh, to changing benefits and ecosystems that we're we're seeing as the year progresses. But um, you know, any last minute advice for, you know, our association listeners specifically as they move forward in, in 2022 and headed into 2023 uh, in this current environment we're in? Yeah, the piece of advice that I would have for, for all leaders is to listen to your team really carefully. Stay close to them. Um, pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to what they're saying that are that your customers are saying. Um, and that will help you to um, understand if they're engaged, your, their employees are engaged, and if your customers are engaged with you. So it's, you know, I'm, I am a big proponent of keeping those, you know, uh, step down meetings so that you're talking not to your direct reports, but to their direct reports, and then to, you know, the their direct reports so that you're keeping your ear to the ground and listening to what's going on in your business, with your team, and your clients. Thank you. That's great. And, and I really appreciate your time today, uh, Dr. Dufresne, and, and for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your insights. Thanks, Alfred. It was great to be here. Well, thank you, everyone, for, for tuning in to Multiviews podcast series, The Association Corner. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.